0: This week's episode about the murder of 15-year-old Akita Irvin should come with a warning. When I try to tell you what to be aware of, I'm having trouble deciding how to frame it because there are so many hot-button topics in this week's episode. Child sexual assault, child abuse, child neglect, drug use, promiscuity, addiction. We will touch on several disturbing themes this week. And listeners, please note that I have changed the names of many of the witnesses and people surrounding the case for their own privacy and protection. I waited a long time for access to Akita's case. Her death has been on my radar for years, but there isn't much available publicly. Only a couple of news stories from the weeks immediately following her murder, then one or two follow-up stories in later years, and then nothing. The White Lake Police did have a post about her on their website under cold cases, but I think that page went away the last time their webpage was revamped. In the spring of 2019, I approached White Lake Township Police asking for access to her file. Their initial reaction was to deny the request, and honestly, I get it. This is an open and unsolved murder. So I called back after my request was denied, asking to speak to the detective or maybe the chief, because, yeah, I get it. It's an open and unsolved murder, but no one has come forward with information. The press is not featuring her case in retrospectives. Her mother and father are not badgering the police or the press for more coverage or for answers. And that, that in and of itself stood out to me that the murder of a teenage girl goes unsolved for so long, shouldn't her mother and father, the people who love her more than anything in the world, be advocating for her? So the back and forth with the department went on for months. And again, I understand their hesitation. This is a murder case. You need to protect the evidence and information you have so that one day you can make an arrest so that you can find the person responsible and bring the killer or killers to justice. It took White Lake Police some time to decide, but eventually they agreed that I could have limited access to the file. When the thick envelope arrived, traveling many miles to reach my home, I was so excited. There were at least 80 pages inside, so I put the envelope on my desk. I didn't open it right away. I wanted to wait until I had time to read the entire thing in one sitting, and then I'd grab my highlighter and my post it notes and go through it a second time. But listeners, my plan did not work out. I couldn't read the whole file in one sitting. I got about 25 pages in before I had to set it aside, and then I went for a walk to clear my head. It wasn't that Akita's death was so awful, and her death was awful. It was that her life was so miserable, so dysfunctional, and so cruel, I couldn't stand it. The little bit that I'd read told me that every single adult in her life, every person that should have been tasked with protecting her, failed. Akita Irvin, a high school dropout and a runaway. The people interviewed in the case file, her mother and father, people from the neighborhood, her friends... They painted a picture of a promiscuous, drug-using, sometimes runaway. Their words and stories demonstrated that there wasn't a single consistent, stable, or decent person in this girl's life. You could say that Akita was difficult, that she was wild, that she was troubled. And if you are going to say these things about her, we also need to talk about nature versus nurture. Akita didn't have a stable upbringing. The way she was raised, the attention or lack of attention or wrong kind of attention that she received throughout her very short life, it molded her. It influenced her choices. Reading her file, there are stories about her running with crackheads in Pontiac, that she drank alcohol and smoked marijuana and made out with strangers in parking lots. When Akita was at home, the one place she should have felt safe and loved, it wasn't a good place to be. According to the police file, Akita told friends that she was dodging inappropriate attention from her mother's live-in boyfriend. Mom is off at work on the overnight shift, and Akita is alone with a man who made her uncomfortable. A man who allegedly offered her drugs and vacillated between inappropriate creeper and paternal figure. Akita did not have a warm relationship with her mother, they argued, and there was conflict between them. Her childhood was punctuated by her mother's romantic entanglements, which saw Akita being sent to live with this relative or this family friend for weeks or even months at a time on the whim of her mother or her mother's boyfriends. Akita's relationship with her father? That wasn't much better. She saw him infrequently. And before we explore her story further, I want to be clear that while I have a lot of feelings about the adults in her life, none of them were brought up on charges for anything we're discussing in this episode. No one was ever arrested, no one was ever charged, and no one was ever named a person of interest in her case. What I am sharing with you is hearsay. Akita Irvin can't give you her side of the story. She can't tell you about her experiences, or her choices, or why she ran away time and again. She can't tell you because someone silenced her. Someone made sure that Akita would never tell their secrets. Akita Rochelle Irvin was born July 8, 1976 to Diana Irvin and her boyfriend Abraham Watkins. At the time of Akita's birth, Diana was single and still a teenager. I can't say if she and Watkins were romantically involved when Akita was born, but Akita was his daughter. He had visitation, and he paid child support. Akita and her mother spent many years living in the city of Pontiac, the same city her father called home. By 1992, Akita's dad was living in Pontiac, and Akita, her mother, and mom's live-in boyfriend, they shared a mobile home in White Lake. This live-in boyfriend... Diana Irvin would become involved with him when Akita was around 10 years old. When Diana took up with Gary France, not his real name, it was decided that she and Akita would leave Pontiac, something Akita was not in favor of. She wanted to stay in Pontiac. She had friends in the neighborhood and friends at school, and her father and grandmother were nearby. But Diana was pursuing the relationship with Gary France, so she and Akita moved in with him. The three of them shared a mobile home in White Lake Township. Akita did not like living in White Lake. She was a city girl. She missed Pontiac. Gary, her mother's boyfriend, will tell police that Akita, quote, ran with the crackheads in Pontiac and sometimes ran away from their home to return to Pontiac. He knew that one time she walked from their house in White Lake all the way to Pontiac, a distance of more than 10 miles. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? If so, BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. BetterHelp offers licensed counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, anxiety, relationships, grief, self-esteem, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. Anything you share is confidential and it is so convenient get help at your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. My BetterHelp therapist was extremely helpful as I navigated the illness and death of my father earlier this year. And if you're not happy with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time, no additional charge. Best of all, it is a truly affordable option, and for Already Gone listeners, you get 10% off your first month with discount code GONE. So why not get started today? Go to BetterHelp.com GONE. That's BetterHelp.com GONE. When she was in Pontiac, she'd stay with her dad or with friends, and other times she'd stay with whoever welcomed her in. These were not always good people and Akita was known to lie about her age, presenting herself as much older than her 15 years. In March and April of 1992, Akita ran away from home. Her school principal, Sam Osborne, will tell police that Akita last attended school on February 25th. By March 12th, she was entered into the school system as a runaway. While she did not return to attend classes, she was last seen at school on May 21st, when she and her mother came in to register Akita for summer school or possibly the fall term. When police pressed him for additional information about Akita, Osborne told police that Akita was unhappy at home and did not like her mother's boyfriend. And while she was miserable living with her mother and Gary in White Lake, Akita wasn't any happier when she stayed at her father's place in Pontiac. After her death, her father, Abraham Watkins, told police that he had not seen Akita since the first week of May. Later in May, he saw Diana, Akita's mother, at a friend of the court hearing at the Oakland County Court in Pontiac. Watkins told police that Akita was using drugs, that she was running with older boys, that teenagers and men, including men who were locked up in jail, They would call his home looking for Akita. He told police that she was on good terms with his live-in girlfriend, a woman we will refer to as Daisha. Akita confided in Daisha. What Akita allegedly told Daisha made my skin crawl. Akita told Daisha that Gary France touched her inappropriately, that Gary offered her drugs and alcohol, and that Akita wanted to get away from him, but when she talked to her mom about it, Gary lied about what had happened, and her mother didn't believe her anyway. Akita's status as a biracial student certainly played a part in her ability to both fit in and feel comfortable while living in White Lake. Akita was one of the few African-American students at her school. It's worth considering that Akita didn't feel comfortable being a non-white teenager in the primarily white community. In Pontiac, with her African-American father, she was just another Black child, and it appears that she felt more comfortable in the city. According to Wikipedia, in 2000, White Lake was 96% white and less than 1% African-American. On the other hand, in the 2000 census, Pontiac was about 35% white and 52% African-American. Now, there was a period around 1988 when another couple, their names were withheld for privacy reasons, they took Akita into their home. They had guardianship of her and she stayed with them for several months. While staying there, she did run away, but only twice. They described her as a good kid who ran with a tough crowd. They told police that Akita was looking for love and sought it out in the wrong places and from the wrong people. In 1988, Akita was 10 or 11 years old and she was already running away from home. But this couple said something interesting. They told police that when Akita ran away, Diana always called them to ask if they'd seen her. But this time, this last time that Akita disappeared, there was no phone call. She was gone, but Diana didn't phone friends or family to ask if they'd seen her. They found that strange and concerning especially since Akita was gone for so long before her body was found. This couple advised police that they would not be surprised if Gary France murdered Akita. They told police that Gary's stepdad was a sheriff's deputy, and that Gary once boasted, long before Akita's murder, that he knew how to beat a polygraph. He told them that if you took certain drugs and used mental tricks, it was easy to beat a polygraph. When police asked this couple if they'd ever seen Gary be violent with Akita or Diana, they said no, but they heard that Gary tried to run Diana over with his car during an argument. One of Akita's neighbors in White Lake was interviewed by police. Patty Clark, not her real name, told police that Diana Irvin was unstable, that Diana was jealous of her young, attractive daughter, and the two fought frequently. Patty described a highly toxic and unstable home life for Akita. One where mother and daughter frequently had physical altercations. In Patty's opinion, Diana Irvin was capable of killing Akita. Or she was capable of covering it up if someone else killed her. Patty told police that she saw Akita sitting outside on June 13th. Which is the day after Diana and Gary say she ran away from home. Patty had one more bit of information for police. In the days after Akita's funeral, Akita's grandmother, Marjorie Smith, stopped by Patty's house to talk. During the visit, she wept about her grandchild and lamented the fact that Diana did not seem to be grieving for Akita. And listeners, I am so frustrated at this point because so many people have failed Akita. So many people were told that Gary France was being inappropriate with her, and no one did anything about it. They knew Akita and her mother didn't get along, that there was not a loving mother daughter bond between them. Diana had a history of putting the men in her life before the well being of her child. And I'm wondering did Akita have anywhere she could go to feel safe and secure? Reading through her police file, it doesn't look that way. Kiara Bowen not her real name, was one of Akita's friends. Bowen had slept over at Akita's house a few times, and while the girls were friends, they didn't talk on the phone often because calls were zone calls, which made for an expensive conversation. Back in 1992, before we had cellular phones, landlines were limited to free local calls, but anything out of your area, even if it was the same area code, was a zone call. Zone calls were pricey, and for a family on a budget, like the Bowen family and like Akita's family, zone calls were to be avoided. Kiara called for Akita on June seventeenth, 1992, and Diana answered the phone. Diana told her that Akita had, quote, stepped out. Kiara asked if Akita had run away again, and Diana responded, not exactly. Akita's body would be discovered days later. And listeners, I find it strange that Diana didn't just tell Kiara that Akita was missing. If Diana did reply with not exactly, that's concerning. What a strange answer to offer. Kiara asked police if they knew how Akita died, and they told her they didn't yet have a cause of death. Her remains were badly decomposed when she was found. Kiara said it probably was not a Pontiac person who killed Akita. And when Police pressed her to explain. She said no one from Pontiac would drive all the way to White Lake with a body in the car only to dump her within a mile of her house. She also told police that the Pontiac people did not know where Akita lived in White Lake. Kiara had one more bit of information for the officer. She'd heard that Akita's remains were covered with a blanket when her body was found. She then described a blanket that she'd seen at the mobile home where Akita lived. There is nothing in the file that states this is the blanket Akita was found with, but listeners, I would really like to know. On July 22, 1992, detectives interviewed Raquel Powell, not her real name. Miss Powell lived near Akita's father in Pontiac. Raquel confirmed for police that Akita and her mother fought frequently. Akita had called her crying on more than one occasion because Diana had thrown a bottle or an ashtray at her. And on one memorable evening, Diana Irvin got so angry at Akita that she grabbed a knife and chased her out of the house. On July 29, 1992, Diana Irvin was interviewed at the White Lake Township police station. She started the interview complaining about her former boyfriend, Akita's father, Abe Watkins. Irvin told police that Watkins showed up at Gary France's place of work and told his co-workers that Gary killed Akita, that Gary had molested Akita, and that Akita had cocaine and marijuana in her bloodstream when she died. Diana was very upset about this. Police then asked Diana about the marijuana and cocaine they found in her home when they searched it after Akita's murder. She told them she doesn't smoke marijuana, and while she had used cocaine a few times, she preferred nicotine, caffeine, and liquor. The cocaine was old. Gary got it at a party a long time ago. Diana told police she kept a lock on her bedroom door to keep Akita out of their stuff. Police asked when she last saw Akita, and Diana said June 9th or 10th. She knew she and her mother went to Kroger to do some shopping with Akita, and she thought that was on June 9th. Diana reminded them that her birthday was on June 12th, and she knew Akita was gone by that point because she didn't see her on her birthday. Police told her that witnesses in the neighborhood saw Diana with Akita after June 12th, and Diana said they were mistaken. She knows her birthday is June 12th, and she didn't see Akita on or after her birthday. They asked her how she celebrated her birthday, and Diana stated that she went to work, stopped to get something out of layaway, and that was it. There was no mention of gifts, cake, or a special meal. Diana Irvin told police that Gary never touched Akita, that she does not believe the rumors about him being inappropriate with her child. Police then asked Diana about the insurance policy her mother had on Akita's life. Now, as an aside, I don't see anything strange about this policy. The scant information available makes it sound like an investment or savings vehicle that might instead cover college or secondary education expenses for a child. Tragically, the policy on Akita Irvin would be needed to pay for her funeral. When asked about the policy, Diana said all the money went to the funeral home. Marjorie Smith, Akita's grandmother, told police days earlier that Diana came to her home asking for money. She wanted a few dollars from the policy. Smith said no, and the two argued. Diana said that wasn't true. She'd asked her mother for $800 to purchase a plot at the cemetery where Akita would be buried. Shifting gears, police asked if there was ever any fighting between her and her daughter. Diana said no, there was never any violence. She'd never struck her child, nothing worse than a push. She did grab Akita's arm once to stop her from leaving. Diana looked at the officer and said, quote, Are all of your leads coming back to me? Then she was asked about Gary and Akita, had he ever struck her, Diana. Diana said no, and she denied that Gary ever tried to run her down with his car. Diana did tell the officer that she attacked Gary after Akita was found, telling him that if he did anything to her daughter, she was gone, she would leave. They asked if she was an alcoholic, and Diana said no. Did she ever black out while drinking? Again, no. Did she clean Akita's room after Akita disappeared? No. They asked if she had any mental health issues. Had she ever received psychiatric treatment? She told them that she had mood swings sometimes, but she wasn't homicidal or suicidal. Diana volunteered to police that she had beaten Gary since Akita was found, demanding to know if he was involved in her death. She said that if he killed Akita, she'd be gone. But she said he'd done nothing to make her suspicious and his stepdad as a sheriff's deputy. Diana Irvin agreed to take a polygraph, and before the polygraph commenced, she had several questions for the officers Was Akita's body far from the road? Was she covered up with brush? Was it a bloody crime scene? The officer reminded her that they were still waiting on a report from the medical examiner, and if this officer was one who had seen Akita's body when it was found, He wasn't sharing that information with Diana Irvin. There's a lot to unpack when you think about this interview. I believe that Diana loved her daughter, but some of the choices she made and the sides that she took raise a lot of questions for me. And I have no information as to how she performed on the polygraph. At the end of July, police interviewed Marjorie Smith, the mother of Diana Irvin and grandmother of Akita Irvin. They talked about the last time she saw Akita. Smith told police that Diana and Akita drove to her house, and the three of them got in her car to go to Kroger for groceries. Diana also mentioned this trip in her interview with police. Smith told them that she drove because she had the largest trunk and could transport more food. Usually, Smith wrote a check for her groceries, but on this day, she'd paid cash and had thrown away the sales slip she thought they went shopping on the 9th or 10th of June. After shopping, they stopped at Diana's home to drop off groceries and then went back to her house. Diana and Akita visited with her at the house for an hour or so. Akita and Diana then left, but Smith was certain she saw Akita again, either that night or the next. She didn't think it was on the 10th because Diana worked on the 10th, but again, she couldn't say for certain. Diana would tell her mother that she went to work on the 10th and that Diana called her on the 11th to let her know Akita was missing. Marjorie Smith did not see Diana on her birthday. It seems that Diana's brother, he also had a daughter, and like Diana, her birthday was June 12th, so that's where Marjorie Smith was. In fact, now that Smith thought about it, Diana didn't take any time off of work after Akita went missing. She worked her job during the week and at her second job on the weekend. Police asked Mrs. Smith if Akita ever talked about her problems at home with Diana and Gary. No. Had Akita talked of feeling unsafe? No. Was she aware that Akita was drinking and smoking marijuana? Yes, she was. Did Diana and Akita get along? Oh, yes, yes. Maybe Diana got on her nerves a little. Had Akita ever seen a psychiatrist? No but she thought it was possible that Akita saw a counselor through front of the court, but she didn't think that counselor was helpful. They asked Smith if she liked Gary, her daughter's live-in boyfriend. No, she didn't like him, and she didn't understand why Diana liked him either. Marjorie Smith related a story to the officer about the family being at her house after Akita's funeral, that Marjorie had a modest policy on Akita, about $2,000, and everyone wanted it, even though it wasn't even enough money to pay for the funeral or the custom heart-shaped grave marker for Akita's final resting place. During the interview, Smith became emotional about her granddaughter. She told the officer that she was closer to Akita than anyone else, that she'd been having Akita over to her house since she was just six months old. She told them, quote, instead of killing her, why didn't they pack her up and just bring her here? Marjorie Smith told police she would help them find who killed Akita. She would help them even if the killer was someone that she knew. When asked who she thought murdered Akita Irvin, Smith responded without hesitation, Gary. They asked her, well, what if Akita's death was an accident? What if she died accidentally and someone hid her body in the woods? She didn't know. She did know that Gary had a bad temper and that he blamed Akita for his relationship issues with Diana. Police asked her if she had thrown away any of Akita's belongings, and she said no. They asked if any of Akita's things were gone from her room at Diana's house, and she said she didn't think so. She didn't think Diana would part with any of Akita's belongings. Then Marjorie pointed out that Gary was home alone while Diana worked. He could have thrown away her things without anyone knowing. And when I finished reading through the interview with Akita's grandmother, again, we are left with so much to consider. On August 21st, 1992, almost two months after Akita's body was found, White Lake Police interviewed Sherry and Lynette Hall, not their real names. The Hall family lived in the same neighborhood as Akita, and the girls were good friends, with Akita frequently coming to their home up until January of 1992. Lynette told police that while Akita had boyfriends, including some boyfriends in Pontiac near her grandmother's house, she was not aware of any boyfriends who had come to her home in White Lake. Lynette and Sherry both confirmed that Akita did not like her mother's boyfriend, Gary, and that Akita told them Gary had touched her inappropriately. Sherry, Lynette's mother, said that Diana and Gary fought about Akita and that Gary didn't like it when Diana spent money on Akita. Lynette said that when she spent the night at Akita's house, the girls would stay in her room until Gary went to bed, and only then when they come out. On September 2nd, 1992, two White Lake detectives arrived at the home of Gary France, the home he'd shared with Diana and Akita Irvin. They confronted him with allegations of inappropriate touching, which he denied. They told him they knew he'd offered Akita, a 15-year-old girl, marijuana, cocaine, and liquor. Gary denied these accusations. He responded that he had never touched Akita, that he had never offered her liquor or marijuana, but some of his was missing and he figured she'd taken it. He said he didn't hurt Akita and he didn't kill her. Officers invited him to take another polygraph and Gary said he'd think about it. He said he'd call them the next day when he made his decision. When police didn't hear back from him within 48 hours, they returned to his home. Gary said he already took and passed a polygraph. He wasn't taking another one. He said, you can't charge me with anything, so I want you to leave. On October 1st, 1992, police ran down the names of some of Akita's supposed boyfriends, names that had come up during the investigation. Young men that she, quote, ran the streets with in Pontiac. Mick Martinson, Jerry Aaron, not their real names. They were both incarcerated and in custody the week that Akita was murdered. Another young man she was tied to, with the street name of Boo, he was also in jail when Akita disappeared. The first week of December, a neighbor who lived near Diana Irvin and Gary France appeared at the White Lake Police Station. He said he had information about the case. Ken Hillard, not his real name, told police he's lived near Gary France for several years and in that time he has never known of Gary to go fishing. Gary never had fishing gear, never talked about fishing. However, the week that Akita disappeared, Gary suddenly has a rod and reel in a tackle box, and they saw him leaving the house with these items. They spoke with Gary a few weeks later, perhaps in late July or early August, and when the location where Akita's body was found comes up, Gary tells him that, quote, I go fishing there all the time, which Hillard claims was not true. Hillard also shared with police that Gary was a mean and violent drunk, something they'd seen time and again in the years that they'd been his neighbor. Hillard also told police that the day before Akita vanished, he found her washing Gary's car that morning. Gary was standing nearby supervising. Gary told Hillard that he was paying Akita three bucks to wash the car. As Hillard left for work, Gary went back to ordering Akita around, pointing out areas that she'd missed. And listeners, we have a lot of conflicting stories here. Was Akita a bad kid, a dropout, a frequent runaway? Was she approached inappropriately by her mother's boyfriend? Did she have a contentious and sometimes violent relationship with her mother? She can't tell us. We have to base our knowledge on what is in the police file, of which I have only a fraction of what is available. And perhaps if we understand the circumstances of Akita's death, we can better grasp what happened during her short life. So come with me to a mobile home park in White Lake, Michigan. It's a cool summer day, the high only in the 60s, and a local man is taking a walk through the woods. He was in a nature area close to Beebe Lake, in a spot about a mile from the home Akita Irvin shared with her mother and her mother's boyfriend. This man, we'll call him Lee he smelled something awful in the woods and walked further in to see if he could determine the source of the odor. He found himself in a small clearing and realized that there was a body. He could tell because he saw hands and feet. Lee immediately left for home, where he called police to report what he'd found. When the officer responded to the scene following Lee into the woods, he confirmed that it was indeed human remains, and he radioed back to the station. He wanted to advise the chief and the detective bureau of the discovery. When the team arrived, they immediately began taking pictures and gathering evidence at the scene, including cigarette butts and other items found near the remains. The body was carefully removed from the location and taken to the medical examiner in Pontiac for processing. It was determined to be a black female, approximately five foot six, one hundred and five pounds. She was partially clothed. There was a great deal of insect activity and the remains were distorted from decomposition. Dr. Dragovic gave the estimated time of death as one to three weeks earlier. While Dragovic is examining the remains, law enforcement went back over the scene with metal detectors collecting additional evidence. The evidence collected on and around the body is redacted from the pages of the police file that were shared with me. Back at the station, an officer starts combing through missing persons reports, and they find one that looks promising. On April 4th, 1992, a missing persons report for Akita Rochelle Irvin, age 15. When police contacted Akita's mother, Diana, she said that Akita returned home in April but was missing again. And let's pause here for a moment and reflect on the fact that it is June 22nd. Diana told police that Akita went missing on June 11th. That's almost two weeks without contact from her daughter. During this time, Diana did not place worried calls to Akita's father or grandmother. She didn't call Akita's friends to ask if anyone had seen her. She didn't call the police to ask for assistance in locating her 15-year-old daughter. When asked, Diana Irvin provided the name of Akita's dentist. When they contacted the dentist, the office confirmed that Akita was treated by them on May 28th the dentist and the forensic odontologist at the medical examiner's office connected, and using dental records, her identity was confirmed. The decomposing body in the woods was Akita Irvin. Police went to the mobile home Akita once shared with her mother and Gary France. They advised Diana that her daughter is no longer missing and would she please come to the station with them. At the station, Diana tells police that she saw Akita on June 10th, around 9 p.m., when she, Diana, was leaving for work. The next morning, when she returned home, she did not check Akita's room, but went right to bed. When she woke up around 1 p.m., she opened Akita's bedroom door, but the girl was gone. She did notice that Akita's ashtray was empty, which she found unusual. Akita smoked cigarettes, and she identified the brand of cigarettes to police. And let's pause here for a moment. Your 15-year-old daughter is a regular smoker. You know her brand and allow her to keep an ashtray in her room? Again, listeners, I have a lot of questions. When police spoke to Gary France, he said that after Diana left for work the evening of the 10th, he and Akita watched TV until 1 in the morning. He said that Akita made a phone call that night, around midnight, but he doesn't think she received any calls. He volunteered to them that Akita used to run with crackheads in Pontiac. He said that he and Akita didn't always get along, but they were getting along that night. He described Akita as being in a good mood. Gary France agreed to take a polygraph, which he passed. Diana Irvin was reluctant to take a polygraph, saying she would likely fail. After speaking with Akita's mother and her live-in boyfriend, police obtained a search warrant for the home and when they serve the warrant, they speak with Diana Irvin as they search. She volunteers that Akita owed money to a dope man in Pontiac. At least, that's what she heard from Akita's father. She offers them a name, but says she doesn't know how much money Akita owed. Police ask Diana and Gary France to come to the state police post for a polygraph. When they arrive for the polygraph, which Gary France will pass, The couple pauses outside of the building to have a cigarette. When they toss their butts on the ground, police make a note of the brand of cigarettes they were smoking. And listeners, this has me wondering just what kind of evidence was found near Akita's body. What did technicians collect from the scene where her remains were dumped? Police will also search both of their cars as well as the car belonging to Marjorie Smith, Akita's grandmother. The bedding from Akita's room is collected and examined. Diana Irvin had told police that she slept in Akita's bed since she'd gone missing. Akita is laid to rest just days after her remains are found. Her grave is marked with a heart shaped stone, which features a photo of Akita, as well as engravings of praying hands, a theatrical mask, and the Disney character Goofy. While police will investigate Akita's death, no one is ever arrested, charged, or named a person of interest. And as I've said before, the murder of Akita Irvin leaves me with so many questions. I want to know who murdered her, but I also want to know why Akita was reported missing in April, but not reported missing when she vanished in June. I would like to know why the couple who took Akita in when she was younger, you remember the ones who said Gary bragged that he could beat a polygraph? Why didn't they receive a phone call in June when Akita went missing? They received calls other times that Akita disappeared. And let's not forget what Akita's friend, Kiara, told police. That she called Akita at the mobile home in White Lake. Diana told her Akita had stepped out. Kiara asked Diana if Akita ran away again. And Diana supposedly responded, not exactly. If that's what she said, why would she say that? What did she mean by not exactly? And when did Akita disappear? Gary and Diana say it's the 11th of June and that Akita was last seen watching TV with her mother's live-in boyfriend, a guy she told several other people she wasn't comfortable with, a person she hid in her room to avoid. Is it possible that Gary and Akita spent a companionable evening watching television before he went to bed at one in the morning? Is it possible that Akita left her home barefoot and barely dressed on a cold June night only to come across someone who wanted her dead? Who murdered Akita Irvin? We know she was running with a tough crowd and that she was impulsive and made questionable choices, but she did not deserve to be murdered and dumped in the woods. White Lake Township police are still interested in her case, they still wish to see it resolved. If you have information on the murder of 15-year-old Akita Irvin, please contact the White Lake Police Department at 248-698-4404. Akita's mother, Diana Irvin, passed away in early 2019. Her father, Abraham, has also passed on. As of October 25, 2019, no one was ever arrested, charged, or named a person of interest in her case. I'm Nina Instead, the writer, producer, and voice behind Already Gone. I appreciate you listening, and please, be safe.